Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. So Father, we come to you in this moment as we have opened up your word. Holy Spirit of God, would you cause us this morning, by your power, cause us to see Jesus and to love him more than we've ever loved him. Will you do that in this place? Father, open our eyes that we could see awesome things from your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. It's an honor. It's such an honor to open God's word and, and to go through uh, it with you this morning. If, if I could, I want to invite you on just a little trip around uh, my big, empty brain just for a moment, okay? If you're visiting here, this is pretty common. They're all used to this. You may not be used to it, but if you could just take a trip uh, with me. So it was a couple weeks ago. It was on a Wednesday uh, night, and I walked in, and my wife was watching a, a movie called The Notebook, and this, this movie was made like early 2000s, and it comes on, and I kind of remember it, and I'm like, all right, so we watched it. And I sat down, and I watched it, and okay, you know, um, I could go into some thoughts on it, but I won't. You just need to know that I watched it. And it was Thursday, and listen, I'm, I'm in a gym, and I, and I work out at this gym, and I work at this group of guys, and it hits me, okay, let me just... I work out with a group of guys, and I'm like, it hits me for the first time in 2023. Like, this is not a joke. I wish this was a joke. I was like, oh, now I know why they call the movie The Notebook. Like, it hit me. Like, he's reading out of a notebook. And I'm like, brilliant. Listen, and I couldn't say anything. In the gym. Okay, now, I'm not proud of this. And one of the things we say around here is that, listen, if the gospel is true, you have nothing to hide. I'm immediately regretting telling you this story. I think I should have hidden this. But it was cool to me. I'm like, awesome. Um, and I'm telling you this story for a reason. I really am. See, sometimes it... It, whatever it might be, it just doesn't register. And we're going through this gospel of Mark. We're looking at our king, the path of our king. And as we see this life of Jesus, we'll see even more today that it just didn't register with some of them. Who it was that was among them. It is my prayer, it's my hope that it registers with us today. Who, who is this Jesus? Because it did not 
register. Now, by way of review, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark is taking us somewhere, and he's taking us somewhere immediately. That word is used over 40 times in uh, in Mark's Gospel, and he's taking us somewhere immediately, and it's an action-packed Gospel. Mark doesn't waste a lot of time. He just goes from this to that, from this to that, this scene to that scene, and and this is the action Gospel. This is the sort of blue-collar Greek that Mark just gets right to the point. He's kind of like, he's more like my, he's probably my kind of guy, to be honest with you. He gets right to it. But where is it that he's taking us? Where is our king going? He's going somewhere. He's going there immediately. Where is he going? And by way of review, you guys know where he's going. He is going to the cross. And we will follow him there. But today, today, we see the plot thicken two incidents that we just read that take place on the sabbath and we will see that there's a bit of a theme that is already starting to develop what is the theme well well, these people are seeing jesus and they're asking like why like why does he in chapter two in verse six he heals the paralytic. We did this last week. Son, your sins are forgiven, he says. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and they're questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? Then you go to verse 16. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat? With tax collectors and sinners. You go down to verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were fasting. And the people came and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, they don't? Why? And then as we read today in verse 24, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And you need to know this morning, these are not questions that inquiring minds want to know. These are accusations masked as questions. It's pretty common, actually, among religious people. So what are you talking about? Accusations. It's all too common among religious people. So we dive right in here to verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way through, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now listen, if you, when it comes to the Jewish faith and the Jewish person, there are two things you do not mess with. There are two things that are theirs as holy as anything that could be holy, and that is circumcision and the Sabbath. These are things that that set them apart, and you do not touch it. What was the Sabbath? See, to the Jewish person, the Sabbath was this reminder to them that God is the God of creation and he's the God of salvation. Now, I've been doing this. I'm going to do it right now. Take that for, for just a moment. God is the God of creation, and he's the God of salvation. Right here, just put that in your back pocket. We're going to come back to that. Just so you know, you're going to need both back pockets this week, okay? 
But put that there. He's the God of creation and he is the God of salvation. What are you talking about? Well, he, he delivers them from Egypt. They were in slavery. And he gives to them the Ten Commandments and the, and the Fourth Commandment. is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then there's a reason why. Because God did this. When, when, when he worked for six days of creation, it was on the seventh day that he rested. And God said, now you need to do the same thing. This commandment was given to them after they were delivered from Egypt. And it was a reminder you are no longer slaves. You have been saved out of slavery. God is the God of salvation and reminded he's also the God of creation. He rested after he created. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Sabbath was good news to the people of God. You get to rest. You are no longer slaves. You are free. This is good news. And religion came along and they turned good news into a burden. And this is where we take a look this morning at religion versus the gospel. That is what we will do this morning. How is it that good news can become this burdensome religious duty? Well, let's, let's talk about it. It appears from this passage that the disciples, and not Jesus, remember, it said his disciples picked the corn. And it appears that they are violating the fourth commandment, that, that you, should, you should not work on the Sabbath. But the reality is, none of these dudes were farmers. They weren't working You can read in Deuteronomy 23 for time's sake. I'll just sort of give you uh, briefly what it says. That In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 23, it actually said if you're walking through your neighbor's field, you can actually pick grain and eat it if you want to. If you're hungry. That's what Deuteronomy said. So that's what the disciples did. So it, it, they weren't even breaking a commandment. They were just hungry. They were walking and they, and they, and they did it. So it's like, wait a minute, th then what is work? Like, I don't get it. Like, why, were the, why are the Pharisees so upset? And I'll just explain this also briefly. See, what happened is the Jewish rabbis, uh, they wrote this thing called the Mishnah. Essentially, you call it a commentary on the Old Testament, but, but it's a Mishnah. And in this Mishnah, what they did is they created 39 categories or 39 classes of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath. So let me just give you a couple examples. If a building would have just happened to fall down, okay? As a Jewish person, based off of the Mishnah, you could go save a life only if a person was still alive. You could remove the rubble and get the person if, if they were alive. But if they were dead, you would need to wait till sunset. Now, that's not God's word. That's what was added by Jewish rabbis. Other little things like you could only, uh, uh, one stitch of sewing was all that was allowed. If you were writing, you could write only one letter. But if you wrote two letters, you were in violation of the rules. And again, this isn't what God said in his word. It was, it was something that man had added because, of course, God needed help. They thought they would help God out by adding some of 
their own rules. Now, this is religion at its finest. I was talking to Jenny. I tried to get her eyes on uh, as many sermons as I can because she's really smart. But she was just talking about, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing a Bible study. Uh, I think it's called Bible Recap. She's doing Bible Recap. It's this Terry Lee Cobble. And the way she worded it, it was like, what, what happened is they built a fence around the law. Like, don't even get close to breaking the law. So they would make all these other rules that became like this fence around the law. Religion at its finest. So Jesus responds. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also he gave it to those who were with him. Okay, now let's, let me just step here because sometimes I think we, we, we picture Jesus, and yes, he was gentle and he's lowly and he's meek, but let's not for one minute think that he was soft. Okay, and, and this, what he does here, I'm like, I gotta walk, cause my, my heart would probably take this to us. Now, Jesus was without sin, but I'm reading this going, oh man, this, I would have done this sinfully. He looks at the guys and he's like, have you not read? Okay, now you think, what's that? Have they not read? Listen, they not only have read, they've written it, they've memorized it. He goes to the smartest dudes that knew the Old Testament better than anybody on the planet and he's like, you dudes ever read this before? Uh, maybe that's my added tone. He goes on to, he says, listen guys, God didn't condemn David. When David seemed to have broken law, he didn't condemn him because there was a, there was a legitimate need that took precedence over what was written in the law, and then Jesus basically what he what he does is he looks at him and he says, by telling this story, he says, "Here's what you got to do, boys. You got to pick: is it David or is it your rules? But you you got to condemn one because they both don't go together." And I kind of like to word it like this: like Jesus was playing chess while. The religious leaders of the time, they were playing checkers. And really not checkers, they were playing connect four. And they're using checker pieces. But they weren't even really playing connect four. It's like what little babies do when they don't know to close the bottom. They just keep putting them in and they fall out of the bottom. We've seen kids do this, right? See, Jesus is playing chess. And these guys, he leaves them speechless. Hey, which one's, hey, which one's it going to be, fellas? Now let me just step out of this just for a minute. Because we're talking about religion, we're talking about the law, and here's what can happen, and specifically in a church like Hill City, okay? We could grow arrogant and think we've got this figured out. We're not religious like those people. Like we're about the gospel here. 
And I don't want any of us to ever act like we've got this figured out. We must be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And what happens in, in some churches that think that they have it figured out is they actually throw the baby out with the bathwater. What do I mean by that? They just kind of live exactly how they want, do whatever they want. They don't care about living lives of holiness. Because they say, listen, we're not going to be legalistic. Okay, and I just want you to know that's sin. When you're not striving to live a life of holiness. So we're not here talking about like, hey, we've got this figured out. We can live however we want to live. We're not going to be like the Pharisees. No, that's arrogant. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud. We don't want to do that. Are you with me? Just got to be careful there as we move through this. So Jesus is like, listen. You got to pick your rules or David, and David was their dude. Like, he's the hero. He was their guy. It's like, man, we can't not pick David, but like our rules, like we love these things. We spend a lot of time on these. And then Jesus goes big, bigger than he's gone so far in his life. See, he points out that the Sabbath was something that was to benefit God's people and not burden God's people. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a reminder that they were chosen by God. It's a beautiful reminder of God's provision. This is why we still want to practice Sabbath rest in our lives for the same reason. We want to be reminded of God's provision. We want to be reminded that we were chosen by God. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And here, here it is. This is where our king says something. Now listen, he said some things up to now. Last week we saw, right? He, 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 like, he, said, that, he said that he was able to forgive sins. And the Pharisees screamed like, well, that's blasphemy. But, but that wasn't like as uncommon. Other, other people have made similar statements about forgiveness of sins. But this one, you didn't make this statement. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he leaves them speechless. What the heck did this guy just say? You don't touch the Sabbath. And again, chapter 3, verse 1, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So, so, so let's go here. We're in a synagogue now. We go from a cornfield on a Sabbath. Now we're in a synagogue on a Sabbath. And listen, by now, the Pharisees and everyone, they knew what Jesus would do. They predicted, yes, he is going to heal. So they had their eyes on this guy that, oh man, he needs healed. Okay, Jesus comes in. Here's the guy. What's going to happen here? They knew because here's what happens. Jesus had built a reputation by now. And his reputation was this, that he pursues those 
who need healed. He pursues those who are suffering. That was his reputation. Same God today that we read about in Mark. Same God. Anybody in here suffering? Anybody in here right now who would say, I am suffering, I have suffered. Jesus still pursues those who are suffering. Jesus still is pursuing those who are in need of healing. This is who he is. So they're watching him so that they could accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, hey, come here. Listen, can you just please with me right now hear the kind voice of Jesus Christ saying, hey, hey, come, come here. And he says in verse 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? That's a weird question to me. Anybody seeing this? Okay, we're talking about just a guy that has a hand issue. Like, what are we talking about, like, killing for? This is where you need your other back pocket. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill it? Take that. Put that in your back pocket. And they were silent. They had no answer for Jesus and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Stay with me in this synagogue scene. If you would, please stay with me. I want you to see this. Would you see in this moment our king's compassion? Please see with me in this moment like our king's emotion. Please see our king. See our king. Oh, what a king that we have. Oh, what a king. Come here. Come here. Just stretch out your hand. For some of you in this room, it's not your hand that's withered, but it's your heart and it's your life. And I'm not saying that as an accusation. I'm saying that because now your self-talk is this, I will never be useful. See, this is what sin does, right? It causes us to wither at our, at our heart level. It causes our lives to wither. But then we start saying things like, it, it will never be useful. This is a hopeless situation, and we live these lives that are shame-filled. And I want to do this once again. I want you to hear the kind voice of Jesus this morning. He's saying this to you today with a withered heart, with a withered life. He's saying, hey, come here. And it's not, hey, get over here. That's not it. It's this. Hey, come here. Come here. And he's not saying stretch out your withered hand. He's saying Stretch out your heart. Just 
Stretch out your life. And his hand was restored, and so too can your heart and your life be restored this morning if you just come to the king. So here we have these two stories of the Sabbath, and we need to know these aren't stories about the Sabbath. This is not the time for a sermon about Sabbath and about rest. We are here in Mark to go eye to eye with our king. We want to see Jesus. These two stories are about Jesus, the truer and the better Sabbath. See, in these two stories, the first one, he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in the second story, he shows that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He proclaims in the first story that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And then he proves he's Lord of the Sabbath in the second story. He communicates that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And then he goes on and conducts that he is Lord of the Sabbath. That, these stories are about Jesus. What's the point? Why are you doing this, Brad? Why are you saying that? So you need to know this. Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And in verse five, don't miss it. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Just like in verse five, he knew the hearts of those in the room. He today in this room knows the hearts of everyone here. He's not just the king, he's the God king. He already knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did in high school. He knows what you did in college. He knows every bit of you, the deepest, darkest cracks. N.T. Wright says this, and I want us to see this. I want us to hear this. I want this to resonate. How can you live with a terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human. That the fire has become flesh. That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those two things, we condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between, and no one can live there with integrity. Listen, for some, it didn't register. Who was in front of them? Religion had blinded their eyes and religion had hardened their hearts. That's their town. Let's come to our town. Does it register with you this morning, Hill City? I know you're here at church. That's what Midwestern people do. We're Bible Belt people. We come to church. So what? Does it register for you? Do you believe Jesus is who he said that he was. Are you here for religion? Or are you here 
Because the greatest news you could ever hear in your life hits your heart. And the only proper response is that you bow before your king and say, just tell me what to do. I'm all yours. Command me, oh Lord. So just let me give you a quick example of maybe how you might be here for religion. It's coming to church. It's, like, it's just a good thing to do. It's a good family thing to do. It's good for my kids. It's a good discipline to provide some structure for my family, for my kids. Listen, if that's why you're here, you're religious. The gospel has not hit. Yeah, God might and is after your kid's heart, but he's after yours. Jesus is compassionately after your heart. The Sabbath wasn't this obligation to fulfill. It was a person to give your life to where you could actually find rest. It's great news. And this hurricane, as N.T. Wright said, this hurricane that became human, this fire that became flesh, here's what he said. Oh, this is a phenomenal Bible verse. It's one of my favorites. Come to me so I can burn you down. (laughs) That's not what the fire that became flesh said. He said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. How is this possible? How can this even be possible that we can come to Jesus for rest? Because the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who said, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he's going somewhere. He's going there immediately. Where is he going? He's going to a cross. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out immediately. See, he heals this guy. His hand is healed. The Pharisees went out immediately. They held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. One Bible version says how they might put him to death. They see Jesus heal on the Sabbath. And they, they, they conclude, we've got to get rid of this guy. And they go to the Herodians. I don't have time to get into it, but listen, the Herodians were not their friends. They were actually more like enemies. But it was Shakespeare who said, misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. Oh, nothing will make you more misery than hate and greed and envy. This was the issue with the Pharisees. They didn't realize who was in front of them. It didn't register. So they go out and they take counsel on how they might kill Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What day was it? It was the Sabbath. Wasn't it? It was the Sabbath. Were they really concerned about the Sabbath? Can I just give you a bit of wisdom here? The issue in front of you is never really the issue. The issue wasn't the Sabbath. The self-proclaimed guardians of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, held counsel. 
That means they went to work. If there was anything a Pharisee did for work, it was holding counsel. So the self-proclaimed guardians of the Sabbath on the Sabbath went to work, decided on the Sabbath to kill the Lord of the Sabbath. The issue wasn't the Sabbath. The issue was the hardness of their hearts. See, they had the power and no one was going to take it or touch it. Now let's go back to your back pocket. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? That was a weird question to ask about a guy with a withered hand. Jesus wasn't asking it about the guy with a withered hand. I told you he was playing chess. These guys had no clue. He knew exactly what was coming. And it was on the Sabbath that they decided to kill. Jesus knew their hearts. And he knows ours. Jesus knew my heart. And he knew your heart. But he went to the cross immediately anyway. Jesus knows my heart today. He knows your heart today. And what he continues to do over and over and over is he offers his open arms and he says, come here. And what our response is to do is to come before him with empty hands of faith and he receives us and he heals us and he does this with love and he does it with joy. Oh, what a king, Hill City. Oh, what a king. Maybe we say it like this, how we used to sing it out of the hymnals. Oh, what a savior. Is he yours? Oh, what a savior. I know me. Some, a lot of you know me, but like I really know. How could he do that? How could he save me? How, how does he reach out with open arms and do that? Oh, what a Savior. I want you to reach into your other back pocket. He's the God of creation and he's the God of salvation. In Genesis chapter 2, let's just go back there. There's a theme. In the first three verses, Genesis chapter 2, you'll pick up on it. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all of the work that he had done in creation. That's Genesis chapter 2. Finished. Done. And it's John chapter 19 verse 30. See, he's the God of creation and he's also the God of salvation. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, this is Jesus on the cross, this place he was going. He received the sour wine. He said, it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit that's the only way we can have rest through the truer and the better 
Sabbath. He is still God of creation. He is still God of salvation. He's still the same God that he was in Genesis and Exodus, the one that he was in Galilee, in a cornfield and in a synagogue. He's still the same God that he was on Calvary. and He's still the same God today in this theater. Have you found rest? Have you found the truer and better Sabbath? Because here's what I know. You can keep trying. You can keep trying all the methods you want to find rest. And you're going to come to dead end roads until you bow before the king and just say, I'm at your feet. I'm laying down and I want to rest. And Father, God, and King, thank you that you give us rest. Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand with me. Each week, on purpose, we come to the table. We receive communion. This is a meal that reminds us where we get our rest. If you're new here, we're going to have a station under these lights right here. We'll have other stations in the middle of the aisle. You come down the middle carpeted aisles, and we'd ask that you exit on the outside aisles. As you come to the stations of communion, there will be bread and it will be torn. We do that on purpose. It's what happened to our king. His body was torn, it was broken for you and for me and then it's dipped into a cup and that cup represents the blood of our king spilled for us. And they buried him and he rose again. He didn't stay in the ground. And this is the only place we can find rest. Down front, we're going to have people that would love to pray with you. Maybe you've been struggling to find rest. Let us pray with you. Maybe there's someone you know that's been struggling to find rest. Let's pray for them together. Whatever it might be, we want to pray with you. This meal... It's for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's for those of us who have bowed at the feet of our king and said, command me. I'm yours. My whole life is yours. If you haven't done that this morning, we kindly ask you to sit this out. If it's something you'd like to learn more about, we'd love to talk with you. Let's come to the table.